Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Stacy Miles began her career in pediatrics 25 years ago as an outpatient physical therapist at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. She moved back home to Chattanooga in 2003 and started working in the NICU at Children's Hospital at Erlanger part-time as the only therapist in her unit. Over time, they have been able to grow their therapy team to include full-time PT, OT, and speech. She is a pediatric certified physical therapist, a certified neonatal therapist, and has certifications in neurodevelopmental therapy and neonatal touch and massage. She's married to her husband, Robbie, who is an orthopedic and sports physical therapist, and they have two daughters. Her oldest, Addie, just finished her freshman year at Mississippi State, and her youngest, Emery, will start middle school this fall. Thank you so much for joining us, Stacy. We're so glad to have you on, and we are doing this virtually um, because you are in Chattanooga and I'm here in Memphis, but it has been such a joy to get to know you um, and see your passion and your desire for the patients at Erlanger to receive things that they need to work on programs and projects. So um, why don't we start with just what is your role at Children's Hospital at Erlanger and how long you've specifically been in that role? Well, I have two kind of different roles at the moment. I'm the lead inpatient therapist. And so I'm over all of the therapists who do inpatient all over the hospital. And I also help cover the pediatric clinics. We have multiple subspecialty clinics that we participate in. But my clinical role is now thankfully only in the NICU. I have done everything here at Erlanger um, over the years. I've done outpatient, I've done inpatient on children's floor in the acute care setting and then pediatric intensive care. But as we have educated the neonatology staff about what we could offer in the unit, um, their need for us has grown and their support of us has grown significantly. That's awesome. So you're in the NICU kind of day in, day out as far as your clinical role, but then you also oversee all the therapists, inpatient and outpatient, or did you say just inpatient? Just inpatient. Okay. Okay. Um, And that's pretty amazing. I mean, looking through your bio and seeing that, you know, starting back in in 2003, that you were the only therapist in the unit and just part-time and then to where y'all have grown. You know, I think a lot of that has to say over the last 20 years, just in general, how much hospitals and medical physicians and medical practice people are getting behind the whole body. You know, not just, okay, we got to heal the medical side, you know, whether it's the disease or the sickness or whatever else, but just in, you know, that the whole body, everything that has to do with it is such a, a crucial thing. And you know, probably better than anyone, those precious babies that are in there for a really, really long time if they don't receive the therapies that they need, then they can fall farther and farther behind. And that's so hard to continue to catch up. And so um, tell us a little bit about what drew you to this role 
Yeah, I also, you know, noticed that your husband, Robbie, is also a physical therapist. So y'all obviously kind of live and breathe that. So what drew you to the role of physical therapy and why did you decide to kind of go that path? Well, I always loved babysitting when I was younger, so I knew I wanted to work with children. My dad is an athletic trainer, and so I grew up in the training room, do you know, going to work with him sometimes, and absolutely loved that environment, loved figuring out the mechanisms of injury, even as probably a middle schooler. And then one of his graduate assistants went to physical therapy school after working as an athletic trainer and came back and I was like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't have, I could do this without working these crazy hours that my dad works. <laughs> I could work with kids. So I think it was around the age 13 that I decided that that's what I wanted to do. Wow. And so um, took it from there and got a biology degree in order to get my prerequisites. And it's kind of funny looking back now, my senior project was over brain development with regards to alcohol. Um, on the brain development because I loved embryology in my biology degree. And looking back now, it's so crazy that that is now kind of what I do. Like I protect the brain development of these infants. And it's just very ironic that that was what I chose to do my senior project on. Yeah. So then I... Yeah, go ahead. um, Getting into physical therapy school was very difficult, Um, still is. And so my backup plan was special education. So I've always just loved kids with disabilities. Chose Memphis as the school that I wanted to go to because at that point, um, the director was a pediatric therapist, the director of the program, Barbara Conley. And thankfully, that's where I got in. And um, then, you know, I was going to take a job in pediatrics. And thankfully, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, they had an opening and so moved up there. And thankfully, my husband, Robbie, who was not my husband at the time, decided to come up there with me. And so that's where we started our careers and then um, came back home. So you're originally from Chattanooga? Yes. Okay. Okay. And then where did you and Robbie originally meet? We met in school. Okay. Okay. Uh, first day of orientation. At physical therapy school? Yes. Got mm-hmm. it. Okay. And where's Robbie from? He is from Rockwood, Tennessee, which is a small town slightly north of Chattanooga. Okay, man, what a small world that y'all were that close to each other growing up, but obviously didn't meet until PT school, right? Yeah, the other crazy thing is I went off to South Carolina to Presbyterian College for my undergraduate, and he came to Chattanooga for his undergraduate, um, and then we ended up meeting in Memphis. Wow, okay. Um, But he focuses on adult physical therapy, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Okay. And have either one of your girls had any interest in that? <laughs> it's so funny. No, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. The oldest one, she was taking this advanced biology class her senior year of high school. And it was like all the stuff that I love and she hated it. <laughs> okay. And yeah. she also does not like babysitting or young children. And then yeah. my youngest one also says that healthcare is not for her. So Okay. Um, well to each their own for sure. Um, you know, my husband and I talk about that a lot too. I don't, I don't know whether, you know, any of my three will be following their daddy into that or not, you know, but you, you just never know. Some know early on that's what they want to do and that's what they kind of push towards. Um, and then others I feel like take longer to kind of figure out what they want to do and have to kind of weave and go through different things. So, 
what are some things, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, our collaboration with y'all at Erlanger, but just thinking through, you know, if you were talking to, or, or let's just even say, you know, a caregiver comes in, their, their, um, you know, newborn has been born, uh, premature and is going to be, you know, in the hospital for an extended period of time, you know, what are things that you want them to know about you, about your role, about the role of physical therapy, the role of therapy in general, you know, what are some things that you want caregivers to be aware of? Well, the biggest thing that I try to impart on them in the beginning, because number one, they're in a traumatic situation and they remember very little. Um, But my goal is for them to know that we're here to help them, but they are the most important part of their infant's life and recovery. And I can do all the therapy that I want, but it's their attention and touch that's the most important thing. And so I'm here to help them learn how to do that and learn how to interact with their baby and learn how their baby communicates with them because it's different than a normal baby. Um, They're so tiny, they really don't cry when they hurt, um, but they show signs of stress. And so it's helping parents learn, learn how to learn their baby. You know, what, what do, why it's important to touch them a certain way and why it's important to, um, help the nurses with the diaper changes and that the mom's smell of her skin is the same as the the amniotic fluid. And so just putting her hand in the isolate is calming for her baby. And so that's really, I think our biggest role is to help parents be parents in this crazy environment um, that they're scared to death and it's not very welcoming. And um, so, yeah, it's just, trying to help them be more comfortable and, and be the parent that they've always wanted to be. And in the beginning, when they're so tiny, you know, is there is there even an age or, a you know, just a week that you say, okay, we really can begin? I mean, is there a where they're just too tiny and they just need to be more mimic the womb? And so really physical therapy is not something that needs to happen until, you know, a certain time frame? And then at what point do the parents get involved also with the physical therapy? Well, it's from the very beginning, the parents need to be there um, providing the developmental care. And that's what we do. We provide developmental care, which is neuroprotection. So we're trying to create an environment that protects their brain development. Um, So physical therapy in the beginning is more about helping the nurses make sure they're positioning the baby appropriately and protecting the infant. But then with the parents, you're trying to teach them, they still need to be there to interact with the baby. They still need the smell of the mom and hear her voice. Um, But that's about it. We do, they do start kangaroo care as quickly as possible, which is skin to skin holding. Um, And that's not really something that we are a part of, but it's something that we encourage. Um, The nurses are usually really great about that. But to me, that is, you know, That happens really early. And then as they get more stable, they still may be in the isolate, um, but we start not, it's kind of hard to say. (laughs) So sometimes we get in there and just make sure that they're doing everything that they should be doing for their gestational age. 
um, helping with their state regulation. They've got to be able to be awake um, and alert for short periods of time without being agitated. Um, we usually work most with the kids who are, are really agitated, trying to help them stay calm and rest because their sleep is so very important to their development. Um, and then once they get bigger, especially our chronic babies um, who have been around a while and have developed tight muscles and abnormal postures, that's when we really start the true, what you would say, therapy, working on releasing muscle tension and um, helping them engage and move appropriately. Yeah. So even in the beginning, it's it's teaching the parents, well, and you know, even the the staff as well. That part of that is is that calm, soothing environment. You know, that always kind of mimics. I mean, I I think even um, all of my children ended up. They were all full term. They were all a little bit early, but full term. But I have through the years met with a lot of moms. You know, with with obviously sick babies, but also healthy babies. And, you know, I really think it's true that there is that fourth trimester, that there is this aspect of where even full-term babies really wish they were back in your tummy. I mean, they they need that swaddle and they need that suck and they need that shush and they need that, you know, sway, all those things that go with it. Um, you know, that as much as possible, you can kind of mimic the womb because they're just, you know, their reflexes and all those things that go with it. But I feel like that's not something that's always taught to moms or understood of, okay, this is, you know, they don't come out ready to just the world be ready for them. You know, the loud noises and the abrupt changes or the, you know, whatever else. Um, and so I, I do love that y'all are able to kind of teach parents that, you know, that these are the appropriate things to do at appropriate ages, you know, that, that if they're these tiny little bitty ones, you're not going to go in and start manipulating their legs a certain way that there's, there's timelines kind of, and, and maybe it's not even a week that they do it because each baby is obviously different, but they have to show you signs that they're kind of ready you know, ready for that, whatever next step is, right? Correct. Like we've had some, there's one 23 weeker that I remember vividly. She was the most active baby I have ever seen at that age. And she needed us to actually get in that bed and help contain her because even the boundaries and all the developmental age that we have, she would not stay in them. Wow. And um, so, yeah, they're all so different. And it's just making sure and checking with each one. And just kind of a lot of times we do what we call drive-bys. We just walk by and see how they're doing, um, see if they're positioned well, see if the nurses need any help um, when they're that tiny. Yeah. Okay. And so what are some things that, you know, when you're, when you're speaking with the caregivers, once you have started the, you know, let's say the actually working with them on posture, working with them on the tightness, you know, working on the actual, we'll say the, the, the physical therapy aspect. I know it's so important too, that it's not just done, you know, if y'all come once a day, you know, how do you really try to express that to parents of how they can be an active part of it too? Well, what I tell them is just when they hold the infant, they don't realize how much they're actually moving the baby. You think anytime you change your hand position on the infant, that's slightly rotating the trunk in a different way. When you change the position of the baby from 
maybe on your chest to a cradle hold that moves the infant around. And I've seen clinically, and I don't know if there's research on this or not, but the babies who are actually held more are looser because their moms have been moving them around. Um, And it's just even that basic holding that helps just that holding and being adjusted and picked up and moved around while they're swaddled usually um, because like you said with the reflexes if they're not swaddled they'll um, lose it but yeah that's really I try to keep it simple for the parents because they are just bombarded with so many things to worry about and so many so much information that they don't understand that I'm like okay this is all you need to do you just need to love your baby just need to come in and hold your baby and we'll take care of the rest of it yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I know in, in our situation with Forrest, you know, he was so sick and he was hooked up to so many things that it was very intimidating. And it took so many people to kind of get him. But it wasn't like a if you had a normal full term healthy baby, you know, if I want to pick up my healthy full term baby, you know, I just pick them up. I don't have to worry about. But with Forrest, there were, you know, so many different things that he was attached to and that, you know, if it came out, if his breathing tube came out, if his, you know, his um, sat monitors came off or, you know, he had an external shunt. I mean, he had so many things going on that I, it was really fearful as a mother of what if I mess up. Um, but it brought such peace and calming to him. And to me, it was, it was a joy to be able to actually, we could, they would put him in as they're doing all the things to get him in my arms. We would often see his little sats kind of, you know, going up, like you could see almost his, his heart rate and his anxiety a little bit kind of going. And then they would place him in my arms with obviously still all the things, but you would watch as he just literally calmed down and I would hold him for hours. I mean, I would get to a point where um, my booty would literally fall asleep because I had been sitting in the same position for so long holding him. But just how much my, him being close to me, my heart rate, his heart rate, all of those things. Um, You know, we also were told early on how much our smell made such a a difference as well. And so um, almost immediately, my husband and I would take turns. So we would go home and sleep. We would have a um, the blanket that he was going to be swaddled in. And then we would have a lovey. And we would start going to sleep. Like I would go to sleep with the blanket cradled against my chest. And my husband would go to sleep with the lovey cradled against his. And then when I woke up in the middle of the night to pump, I would go pump. And when I came back to the bed, I would wake him and I'd say, switch. And we'd switch. So I'd get the lovey, he'd get the blanket because we wanted both of our smells on the blanket and the lovey. And then the next day, that's what we took into the hospital was the blanket that we had slept with in the lovey. And so we would swaddle him in that blanket and then that lovey. I also, when I went to pump, I would pump with the lovey kind of tucked in right next to where I was pumping because we had been told that, again, the smell, that that would hopefully help him to take my milk, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so that was such a 
not only, I think, a blessing to him, but it was a blessing to me because I felt like I could do something. There's so little as a caregiver when when your baby is sick, your child is sick. There's so little that you feel like you could do. You know, you can't provide the medical. Um, Eventually, I got to where I changed his diaper. I helped with oral care. I helped with his bathing. But even that took time to where I could feel comfortable and the nurses could feel comfortable with me doing it without pulling and yanking, you know, his catheter out or, you know, his shunt out or whatever else. But that was such a calming thing for me and something I felt like, okay, I can I can sleep with this. I can get my smell on it. And then the nurses knew each day I brought in new blankets, new lovey, and they were to make his bed up with all of our stuff that we had slept with. And then the the dirty stuff went home with us. And so we had this rotation of each day, you know, that we had slept with those. And it was something that I would have never thought of if honestly, and I can't remember now if it was a therapist or a child life specialist, but somebody had told us that that was something to do. And it, it brought such comfort to us. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's truly amazing. The power of parents um, with these kids recovery, it just, it makes me sad for the ones whose parents aren't involved. Um, and we try to pay extra attention to them, but it's just, like you said, it's the small things that can make such a huge difference. Um, but it's the power of the parent all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Their voice. And, um, and we found that even, you know, certain music or, and nowadays I feel like things have come so far, you know, you could, um, you know, some things maybe for those parents who can't be there as often, they live really far away. They have numerous siblings at home. They're a single mom or dad. You know, I know it's so difficult, um, especially with these babies that are such long term to be able to be there. But some things we found too is, you know, you can record your voice in a book. Um, you can record your voice to maybe play on, you know, if you can get it dubbed onto a, a DV, I mean, a CD or something like that. But the soon soothing calmness of your voice. Um, we found with Forrest, he really liked this a sound machine. He also really liked music. Um, and then of course us reading to him as well. He, you know, that always seemed to bring him comfort. And then even when he was so sick and we couldn't lift him and hold him, we would let him hold our finger, you know, we'd put our finger for him to hold. And just that, you know, and when I remember times when they were trying to get his blood from his foot, you know, he hated that. And so I would just get in his ear and I would shush, you know, in his ear as I just kind of rubbed him. And that seemed to really kind of help also calm him down. Um, but I, you know, just as a, a first time mom, you know, a new mom, a first time mom. And then obviously the first time I've ever been in any kind of hospital with a baby that sick, I don't think I would have known those things at all if it wasn't for the work of people like you to be able to encourage me to do that, you know, to have me be a part of the care team and how important that has been and was to me back then too. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it really is a blessing on what we get to do. Um, People ask me, you know, are you going to do this the rest of your career? And I'm like, well, yes, <laughs> I'm, like, You're gonna, I'm probably going to die in here. Y'all are going to have to drag me out because it's just so rewarding to see these babies develop and to see their parents learn to love them and interact with them. And just those magical moments that you see um, happen. I just have so many of those stories that 
just witnessing them is just such an honor. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about how we have collaborated with y'all um, and a little bit about the NICU and PICU Development Center um, and even the celebration bags as well. Those are all kind of therapy related. So why don't you tell us a little bit about why y'all felt strongly about having those centers in your hospital and then how that's kind of uh, been a blessing to the therapist and families? Well, when the idea was first introduced to me, I just thought that this was the best thing that could ever happen to us. Um, I would used to go and buy, um, I'd go to the consignment sales and buy all the plastic toys that we could sterilize just so that we would have something to be able to use up in the unit um, because we didn't have a budget for anything like that. And um, when you're at a county hospital (laughs) in an intensive care unit and they need major equipment, Um, That just wasn't a priority um, to spend money on. And so when the Forest Spence Fund presented that as an option, I just, I couldn't believe it. And it was just such a gift. And being able to use it and see the difference that it's made. There was one mom, she goes, you mean we get toys? I mean, she was just so astounded that there would be toys for her baby in the hospital. And It was, that was such a small thing, but such a huge, huge thing. And so we started up here in the NICU and it's been a huge success. And the nurses now demand things (laughs) (laughs) Um, just like you'd bring it to the bedside and they'd be like, why, why is this here? And um, so it's been some education for them on when to use it and why to use it. And um, they're always asking now, well, can this kid have a web and up? Where's a levy for this kid? And this one's ready for a rattle. And where's the mirror? And um, so it's been great to have them join in the fun with us. And then it worked so well, we were like, oh my gosh, we need this in PICU as well, because we have so many kids who end up in PICU for a long time, who are infants and young children who need that developmental stimulation and need things that can stay at their bedside. Um, It's interesting for child life, you know, they're a huge resource for us as well, but their donations are usually not infant related. And we keep asking them to encourage that, but that's not what comes in. It's the board games and the dolls and the Hot Wheels and that kind of stuff, which they they need. Um, But it was such a void missing for our infants that the Forest Fence Fund was able to fill. It's just, it has been huge. And then the celebration bags. I mean, what, it's so fun to see those parents then get this gift of toys and things that they can use at home because we do have a lot of families that don't have resources and that don't know what to even buy for their babies that will help them. And it's all in that bag ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of those are programs that we, you know, just love because not only are they, a happy, you know, something that brings joy, but there's purpose in each item that's been chosen. You know, there's purpose in why that item, you know, whether it's a black and white item, because that's what they can see, or whether it's an item that they, that babies can grasp, you know, maybe it's an item that they can suck or they swaddle with, or, you know, there's purpose in, in all the items that we've chosen. Um, and so you know, I think that is, like you said, uh, uh, we've had families, you know, in Memphis and Nashville and Chattanooga reach out to us and say the same of, you know, that 
that celebration bag filled with five different items specifically for their baby that they get to keep forever, you know, was such a blessing because they weren't, they were so worried about paying the bills or getting back and forth or all the other things that these therapeutic items would not have been something that they would have put their money towards. And, um, you know, and then the therapy center has been such a joy, you know, we now have in all the hospitals that we serve because of just that these babies are here for a really long time. They often, the hospitals don't have all those things that they need or want. Um, and so our hope is that this is a tool that can be used, you know, for the, for the babies and infants to, you know, receive therapy and care, but it's also fun and enjoyable and, you know, parents can use to also interact with them or the nurses or the staff. And so um, that there's purpose in that, you know, as well. And that's the thing that really has meant the most to me is when you put that stuff at the bedside, the nurse really realizes that that's a baby that needs to play. Yeah. You know, they spent so much time, you know, in critical care mode, trying to, you know, worrying about their lungs and all the other things. It's like, okay, this baby's ready to play. You know, they're yeah. ready to be awake and to be held and to be treated like a normal baby. And it's just a great reminder for them. They're like, okay, we're healthy enough to do this now. Um, and so that's been one of the things that's been interesting to see play out as part of our process with this uh, developmental center and how it's really affected the whole unit. Um, and it brings joy to the nurses, too, to be able to know that they can provide that sort of stimulation for their patients. And at Erlanger, how, how large is your NICU? Um, we're a 60-bed unit, um, but we vary. We've One year we got up to 84 babies, which was wow. insane. Um, so we just start sticking babies <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. But, yeah, we usually run between 55 and 60. Okay. And how large is your PICU? Um, well, they just expanded. I think the room number is 18, but there's some numbers missing between 1 and 18. Um, so, yeah, it's it's grown significantly. I think there's maybe 16 total beds. Okay. Okay. Um, was there a story of a family that really stands out to you? I know you talked a little bit about that 23-weeker that was so active and knowing that you had to, you know, come up with ways to really kind of contain her in a way of, of making sure that she was safe. But is there a story that really stands out to you that really shows the power of a therapist being a valuable part of the care team? Um, there's a lot. <laughs> um, I kind of wrote down my names of ones that came immediately to my mind. Um, one right now we still have in the unit and um, he was so sick. We, I mean, they met with the mom to tell her that it was end of life and that they didn't think he would make it. And that day he turned around and just started getting better. And he's now, gosh, maybe, I can't remember his actual gestational age. He's post-term gestation now. And after everything he's been through, he was medically paralyzed for almost an entire month. Wow. And he wakes up now and will look at you in the eyes and interact with you and he's almost smiling and so he's super tense because he's been sick for so long and on CPAP and ventilated for so long that the other day I was able 
to work with him and got him relaxed. And I had the toys ready to go. And he would follow them and watch them. And you saw those arms start to move up, trying to reach and bat for them. And it was just, it is a true miracle. I mean, multi-miracles have happened for him that we could, that he could do that. And then we were even able to put him back in the bed, unswaddled, which you know how big a deal that is to be able to put a baby in the bed unswaddled for him to stay calm, watch the mobile that we had above his head, and again, start moving in an appropriate way to try to interact with the toys that were with him. It was just absolutely incredible. I just wanted to call the whole unit in and go, look at this. Look how incredible he is doing. And we have such hope for him going forward. And his mom came in the next day. And it was just, you know, I got to tell her all about it. And she was so excited to hear that. Um, So that's one of my stories. It's just, I just can't believe he's doing as well as he is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so thankful definitely for, for, you know, all of the therapists that help out the tiniest of babies, you know, all the way up to even your husband helping adults. I've had, um, I've personally had to utilize physical therapy a few times in my life, whether it be from a, a foot surgery or spine surgery, or, um, I've had knee issues and back issues. I've, I've had them all. I've, I've officially quit any kind of long distance running because my <laughs> body, my body has yelled at me enough times to say, you can't do it anymore. Um, unless you want to stay in physical therapy for the rest of your life. So, um, but I'm personally very thankful for all the ways that you and your staff at Erlanger have been an advocate for the fund an advocate for the families that you support and provide for. Um, it has been a true joy to work with you personally and um, for you to really, you know, be an encouragement to the Four Spence Fund and be an encouragement to others who, you know, are wondering who we are and what we're doing. We're obviously a new entity in Chattanooga and that in itself has been hard to kind of build up steam for people to know who we are and what we do. And so we just appreciate you, you know, being an advocate for us down there. Um, We're so thankful to be able to work within that hospital and to hopefully, you know, the things that we provide and help with are making a difference in the the family's lives and your staff's lives as well. Well, it's, I mean, just everything from parent kitchens to snacks to the, the wall where they can stand in front of that says NICU graduate on it outside the front door. Um, it's just meant so much to us and to the parents and um, just to be able to have those resources available. I just, and then to be able to tell a parent that there's a, a fund that cares about them, that wants to support them. So, I mean, I, they don't feel so lost and alone anymore because they know there's someone who wants to provide stuff to make their stay better. Yeah. And I just can't thank y'all enough. Yeah. Well, it really is a joy. And, um, you know, I, I wish I could... Um, you know, make, make many of me so I could also be, you know, in Chattanooga meeting with those families and loving on them and be in Nashville meeting with those families and loving on them. And we hope fingers crossed one day we're able to, uh, we're excited that we have hired a director in Chattanooga and a director in Nashville. Um, and so hopefully that will continue to grow as well so they can be working within the hospital, but thank you for everything you do. And thanks for giving us time today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. 
Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.